0: Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation.
1: Hello, and welcome to Talk Justice. This is Kat Moon, your host for this episode. And I'm here today to talk about one of my favorite topics, actually. So I spent a lot of time in my day job as director of innovation design at Vanderbilt Law School, thinking about how we can leverage technology to bring access to legal understanding information and really bridge this access to justice chasm, actually, that we face in the United States. and You know, I've been super curious over the past few weeks and months, thinking about how we can really deploy these ever rapidly evolving generative AI tools like ChatGPT, which is built on GPT-4, a large language model that really is doing amazing things and seems to be ever evolving increasingly quickly. And so I thought, we need to talk about this and how legal aid organizations and folks who are interested in bringing these tools to bear to serve more people, help them solve their legal problems, should be approaching these tools, things to think about, actual things we can do right now, concerns, and maybe some heed and care we should take with these tools, and like, let's just jump into it. So I invited three people to start this conversation with me, who have been around the block when it comes to legal technology and thinking about deploying tech to bring greater access to justice. And these folks have definitely been thinking a lot about generative AI along with me in the past few weeks and months. So we're going to have a conversation. And So who's joining me? Well, we've got Natalie Ann Knowlton, who is the founder of Access to Justice Ventures, LLC where they empower entrepreneurs who are developing scalable access to justice solutions. She is also a regulatory innovation advisor and the former director of special projects at IELTS, the Institute for the Advancement of the American Legal System. She has been recognized for her amazing work by being named to the 2023 Class of American Bar Association Legal Rebels, and is also listed among the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center's 2022 Women of Legal Tech. Along with me, she sits on the Justice Technology Association Board of Advisors. And also joining us is Tom Martin, who is CEO and founder of LawDroid, which is an award winning no code platform entrusted by legal aid organizations, including some here in Tennessee, as well as courts and bar associations across the US to leverage AI and scale their access to justice efforts. He is also an ABA legal rebel and Fast Case 50 honoree. And we have one more guest with us today, Sam Flynn, who is COO and co-founder of Joseph, a no-code automation platform used by legal teams around the world to make their services more accessible. Sam sits on the advisory board for the Center for Legal Innovation and is an advocate for using legal tech to drive better access to justice. Joseph, his platform, recently launched an AI-powered tool, Joseph Q, which turns legal content into digital Q&A tools. And all three of these folks, as I said, have been thinking really meaningfully and intentionally and in building things that leverage generative AI tools to really bridge the justice gap so we're going to talk about some practical applications some things we should consider maybe approach with caution as well as the mindsets that might get us where we want to be in leveraging these tools so without further ado let's jump into this conversation with Natalie, Tom and Sam. Hello, um, I am so excited to be here today with my guest for this conversation about generative AI and access to justice and joining me today, Natalie, Sam, Tom, thank you for being here and without further ado, I really just want to jump into this conversation because as usual, we have a lot more ground to cover than we have time within which to cover it. And I thought we would kick off with a little level setting about exactly what our conversation is going to center on. And so folks have probably been hearing a lot about ChatGPT and generative AI. And I thought, Tom, I might ask you to spend just a minute or two giving us a high level Overview from a, a technical perspective, perhaps for dummies. Um, I would appreciate that What exactly we are talking about when we're talking about generative AI at least at this point in time
2: Thanks, Kat Yeah, I think a simple metaphor to conceptualize generative pre-trained transformers, which is GPT Is to think of it as a language calculator so we've had number calculators for many many years And what ChatGPT and the GPT technology does is it simply calculates the next word that it should produce in response to the input that you're giving it. So it literally calculates what's the next probable word based upon your request. The one thing that makes it different, and so it's a mistake to think that it's only a language calculator, is that it's also been running through human reinforced learning, which means that the responses that it's given out has been run through human beings who have given feedback as to whether or not it's a good response. And that feedback has been added to the training of the model. And that's why there was such a significant leap forward in the usability of ChatGPT versus earlier models.
1: That was a fantastic, succinct description, Tom. Thank you. And it brings to mind a couple of points, a couple of questions I have regarding the technology that I'd love to get your thoughts on and um, Sam and Natalie as well. But we have, right now we're seeing kind of massive jumps forward in the ability being demonstrated um, specifically by ChatGPT. And so folks have probably come across the interesting fact that ChatGPT 3.5 did not do very well when given the opportunity to quote, take the bar exam, but GPT 4 did very well with the bar exam. In fact, outperforming the average law student who's taking the exam. So I'm curious to know if we think that the rapid advancement in this technology is something that is catching people a little bit, by surprise, a little off guard.
2: It definitely caught me off guard. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) two years ago we were playing around with uh, GPT-3 and how we might use it. And the significant leap forward with ChatGPT just blew my mind. It was the first time I ever had a fluent and intelligent conversation with a machine.
1: So that's a fascinating observation, a fluent and intelligent conversation with a machine. Natalie, I know you have been playing around with this technology for a long time and specifically thinking about it in the context of access to justice. So I'm curious what your reaction is to this moment in time and what we're seeing with this technology.
3: Well, I think personally that this is an incredibly exciting moment in time, and you can accuse me of being a techno optimist. But uh, in this instance, I think I am. i seeing the applications for increasing information for people, navigating the system without attorneys, potentially increasing some components of advice, I'm just blown away. And when I think about the potential for this on the access to justice front, And in terms of being taken by surprise, I think the most notable thing about what has taken everyone, it seems, by surprise is how quickly these focus areas that we thought were traditionally had humans had a monopoly, for Mm. example, writing and music and art, and we're seeing very quickly that that was a terrible assumption to have made. And I think that is really upending what everyone is thinking about AI moving forward.
1: Mm. A lot to dig into there. But before we do that, Sam, I'd love to pass the mic to you. You've been building legal tech tools. And so you've you've been knee deep in this as well. What are your observations about this moment in time with respect to how this technology is really exploding?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Kat. I think it's such an exciting moment. And I don't think I've seen a moment like this since I moved into legal tech in 2016. Um, So I'm very excited about the possibilities. My co-founder and our solutions architect, Kirill at Joseph, is a machine learning expert. And Mm. ever since we launched Joseph in February 2019, we've been asking him, hey, Kirill, can we look at AI? Much in the same way that Tom just described. Hey, Kirill, what about AI? Can we build it in here? Can we do something here? And he kept saying, it's not there yet. It's not there yet. It's not there yet. And as soon as we saw GPT 3.5 and GPT 4, we were ready to go. Um, And so we actually built and launched a generative AI powered tool called Joseph Q, and we're exploring applications in the access to justice space. But I was also reminded, because things are moving so fast and we're spending so much of our day talking about generative AI and GPT and open AI, that this is not something... Even the foremost experts in the field foresaw, I was watching Future Law, which is Codex's conference the other day, and all of these AI experts were saying they didn't think we'd be here for another 5, 10, 15 years. So I'm really excited about the possibilities of this new technology.
1: Yes, your observation about experts being caught off guard by how quickly this technology is advancing, I think... Um, is something I bump into that daily and I'm currently working on a a faculty workshop on generative AI and GAI for the professors who I work with at Vanderbilt and the colleague who I'm working with is taking a a course. It's called AI for Everyone, an online course, a MOOC, and it's just a couple of years old, but he pointed out that in, in this course they go on and on about how we won't expect to see certain advancements for another five to 10 years, probably longer. And, uh, you know, yeah. all of these predictions are just being blown out of the water. So exciting time. Everybody's caught a little off guard. Very optimistic. I do think I have a very optimistic group here for this conversation. I'd like to turn it straight to where we think we're headed with leveraging this technology to help people solve their legal problems. And when we talk about access to justice, in the US at least, um, we can talk about it on a number of levels, but I think that fundamentally, we just have a lot of people, millions of people, really across economic spectrums, who simply do not get any meaningful help with their legal problems. Depending on what study you look at, what jurisdiction you're in, it can be, um, you know, upwards of 80 to 90 percent of legal problems are not attended to by any kind of legal expert. So we know we have a big gap and we now have this really amazing technology that does some things really well, doesn't do other things. What does it look like to apply this technology to solving this access to justice gap? And Natalie, I'd like to turn back to you because you were you were quick to jump into in your statements of optimism about the potential impact that this technology has on access to justice.
3: Sure. So I think looking at in two different scopes. One, uh, how can legal services providers, whether they're legal aid or private attorneys, how can they leverage these tools internally in their in their process and their practice? And I, I think There's a huge opportunity here for uh, any number of things. And before this, I looked at a legal aid website. I won't name the state, but I looked at the legal aid website and started thinking about, okay, what are the potential use cases for this particular legal aid, um, the state legal aid office? So think about content generation, providing first drafts of content generation for external facing Audiences with respect to legal information and how to navigate the flow of a process uh, triage and intake. I think there's a huge opportunity here to leverage these tools to streamline that process. I think some of the privacy concerns that we have seen so far uh, may be addressed in the chat GPT. Enterprise plan. But in any event, I think the, the privacy controls will only get better from here. Translation services are huge, particularly with respect to legal services providers. So can we use this tool, these tools to provide for first drafts of translation services, creating video and audio content? What about generating referrals to community organizations and finding what's available in your community? if you're not already familiar. And then providing input to consumers on prompt engineering. How can we make the consumers navigating these tools more educated and informed about what it means? So those are some of the kind of internal, and we talked a little bit about the external facing, but just taking a look at a a random legal aid office, those are some of the use cases that I can immediately see.
1: That's a fantastic list. That's a fantastic list for any lawyer, but most certainly for folks who are working in offices with budgets that might not afford them access to tools and technology that larger law firms have. So thank you, Natalie. I would love to hear Tom, if you could pick up on that and talk a little bit about from your perspective, where you think applications of this technology can have the greatest impact in bridging this access to justice gap.
2: Yeah, happy to, well, as you know, LawDroid has been involved for the past seven years in helping legal aid organizations across the United States scale their access to justice efforts using our platform. You know, there's many use cases. I agree with Natalie about the list that uh, she just mentioned. I think when we look at the principles of what comes up in access to justice... There's definitely the need to scale services. So that ability to meet the demand, which is impossible through human lawyers alone, is something that AI can do well. It can scale to meet the immense demand for uh, legal services. Also, it's possible to make this information available through multiple different channels. So it's not only web-based, but audio, video, every different method that we can get that information out there to help people. So I think fundamentally it changes the way we can approach people and meet them where they're at, including having a bottom-up approach versus a top-down approach, where we use the language that they use to provide information that's useful to them.
1: Yeah, that is an excellent point. I think meeting people where they are and and using language that they can understand and and having technology be the link between those things. Um, it would be interesting if AI ends up being the bridge between people who need help and lawyers. Um, Sam, what about you? Where does your mind go when you think about highest and best use in this current moment?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think Tom and Natalie made, made such good points. And Tom actually just described a project that we're working on at the moment which is a, I mean, it's in the early days, but it's a partnership between 650, which is Wilson Sonsini's tech subsidiary and JustFix, which is a tenants rights organization based in, in Brooklyn where I am uh, and, and Joseph. And so what we're exploring is exactly that. How do you take existing legal content of which there is a lot. And we started where Natalie started like looking at JustFix's website, which is wonderful but it has a lot of static content that people struggle to struggle to understand. They struggle to find it in the first place and they struggle to find the answer to their specific question, even when they're on the right page. And taking the power of generative AI to operationalize that content is what we're focusing on at the moment. So allowing people to search for that information using their own everyday language, rather than the language of the lawyers who built out the content and then surfacing the relevant information to them through a Q&A style tool in language that they understand. And so that is one way of deploying generative AI that is on one level quite simple, right? Where locating the relevant information and surfacing it in easy to understand language, but on another is quite transformative. And that is one of the greatest barriers to allowing people to self-help, which is actually finding the relevant information and then understanding what to do with it. Uh, We're doing that project through our tool, Joseph Q. And we're spending the next few months experimenting, seeing what the results of that application of the technology might be.
1: And as you said, how simple, but yet how powerful that kind of um, transformative use of the technology would be. And this calls to my attention, shifting back to Natalie for a second, because Natalie, you were, as you set out your Great list of suggestions that service providers could start thinking about how to use this technology. Sam's response shifted it to legal consumers and perhaps how they could leverage this technology. And I'm curious to know are you as optimistic about that use? And we've seen some naysaying bubbling up let's put it that way, warnings about why you can't have a robot lawyer, suggestions that this technology actually could have negative consequences for creating access to legal information and legal help. So I'd love to talk a little bit about consumer-facing technology applications and what that looks like and what that means. What are your big thoughts on this, Natalie?
3: I am more optimistic even on the consumer-facing standpoint, because when you're looking at lawyers and other legal services providers adopting and implementing, chances are that adoption is going to be pretty slow, if history has anything to say about that. So the way that consumers are using these tools, I mean, (laughs) talk about the naysaying. It always really strikes me when I see articles and conversations about whether lawyers think that consumers should use these tools. It's completely irrelevant to this conversation because they are going to use these tools and they are using these tools. So I think one of the things that stands out to me when I'm looking particularly at ChatGPT, maybe not so much some of the other tools that are out there right now, but the way that that response, the chat-like response, it frames these issues in terms of a workflow and a framework for people to, I think, better understand the various steps of, of a process. So I did a demo the other day where I asked ChatGPT how I can get a divorce in Denver. And it came out with a list: one, two, three, four, five, six, however many there were. And it really was an accurate list of the workflow that one can expect when getting a divorce. And I think that's incredibly important because we look at whether workflows are helpful to consumers. We know that they are, but so many static websites of courts um, and, and other legal aid providers don't have any information on that. They just list out what a divorce is and a divorce with kids, and and, and these process workflows. I think are, are missing from many legal resources. So that's one of the things that really excites me about consumer-facing use.
1: And again, I think such a a simple and obvious yet powerful application. And I, I just want to observe that as I sit and listen to these really fantastic examples and hopefully inspiration to other folks who are listening, in my mind as a lawyer, as a practicing lawyer for coming up on 30 years, I'm like, why aren't we already doing these things? (laughs) So hopefully we can let the technology help us do these things to help more people. What about you, Tom, on the consumer-facing access point? Are you optimistic about that?
2: I'm incredibly optimistic about it. We're working on a number of projects where we're implementing this, uh, in particular one with the State Bar of Arizona. And I think the difference that this makes is that it makes the speed to getting these resources available to people very quick. Uh, it used to be that this could take a very, very long time to put together. For example, with an intent based system like Dialogflow, you might have to build out hundreds of different intents to answer different questions. With something like this, you simply paste in the information you want it to be familiar with and it could answer questions right out of the box. So it dramatically increases that ability to meet people where they're at with information very quickly. So I think that really explodes the opportunity and the scale of, at which you can assist people. So I think it's a fantastic uh, time to be alive. And I think to be able to really fill that gap that we've been talking about for years and
0: years and years. Yeah, Kat, if you don't mind me jumping in on that point yeah. that Tom just made, because I think yeah. it's a it's a great one. I think one of the most powerful parts of this is, as Tom said, how quickly you can build really successful, easy to use, easy to understand consumer facing tools. By way of example, we sat down with JustFix and there are heat laws in New York which tell landlords that they have to keep apartments and houses at a certain temperature of a certain period of the year. Um, JustFix has all these FAQ pages on that. We uploaded that into the large language model and trained it with a few questions and launched a digital QA tool in under five minutes that answered Correctly and accurately, every single question we threw at it for the next 20 minutes about heat laws in New York. So, I think that's a really important point that Tom makes. One of the most transformative parts of this technology is just how quickly we can start to build tools that, and I'm sure Tom and Natalie know this, uh, that took a long time using decision tree logic and expert systems. So, that's going to have a multiplier effect on this kind of work as well.
1: So, you know, I spend pretty much all day, every day, digging into all this stuff. It's, it's what I do for a living. And still my mind is blown when I hear just simple examples like that. So the second thought I have after my mind is blown, then a thought enters like, this is just going to break things. Like we have a system, we have systems of justice, systems of legal education, our business models, all our products of the second industrial revolution which is a time that ended more than 100 years ago, what barriers are we bumping up against? And what should we be wary of, both from a barrier standpoint and, like, genuinely, as things stand right now in the U.S., lawyers, for the most part, are the only people who can legally help others solve their legal problems. And with that comes the obligation to um, hopefully maintain that system with consumers, people who need legal help at the center. So meeting our ethical obligations while also tackling this enormous access to justice gap and all doing it at this breakneck speed. What does this mean? What are the barriers? which should we be wary of? Natalie, I'm going to circle back around to you.
3: Sure. This is a Hard hard question to answer in a short period of time because I think there are quite a few. I think it's worth noting that the legal system is broken and it has been broken for a long time. Some, maybe myself included, would argue that it's never worked as it aspirationally intends to do so. So I don't think necessarily that this is going to solve those systemic issues. I also don't think it's going to make it worse. I think it'll make the systemic issues and its impact on consumers maybe a little easier, a little more palatable. So I I still think that this shouldn't switch our conversation away from addressing some of those systemic issues with our system. I also, from a mentality standpoint, I think the culture of the legal profession is often risk adverse. And I don't know if they teach that or if people, we just opt into the system because we're normally like that. But in any event, um, you're seeing this play out a lot in conversations on this technology, and that's the swoop and poop. And lawyers don't have a monopoly on that tactic, but they seem to be really good at it where they'll come in and just poop all over everything that uh, advocates are saying could potentially help system issues and help consumers. So I I think from, from coming from that mindset of, well, let's talk about everything that's wrong with this, I think we need to rewire that to talk about here are the issues that we see, here are the barriers, here are the risks, here are the concerns, but what can we do about them? I think if everybody who is naysaying this technology and talking about how we shouldn't be using it and consumers shouldn't be using it sat down in a room and we're really developed, uh, we're really focused on developing solutions that would allow consumers and legal services providers to use this in an ethical, responsible way, then I think we'd be far further in this conversation than we are now.
1: And hopefully we can move in that direction. I think that is absolutely an approach we should be taking. Natalie, why don't, why don't you pull that together and start leading us in that direction? I think that's part <laughs> of what you're trying to do in the work Going you Natalie. do. Um, <laughs> so Tom, pass the mic to you. What are your thoughts on barriers we face and, and what we should be wary of as, as we move forward at this breakneck pace?
2: Well, I, uh- A hundred percent agree with Natalie. Um, You know, as a lawyer myself with now, what, 25 years of experience under my belt, I think there's a lot of attorney-centered concerns, right? Ethics, UPL, you name it. I think that's the wrong centering, right? It should be people-centered. It should be focused on the people that we're trying to help this whole time that we talk about as our aspirational goal, not about, you know, restricting ourselves to all of the rules that insulate and protect lawyers. So what we should be looking at is what's been broken this whole time, which is the 80% of, and sometimes upwards of 90%, I've seen the statistics cited, as consumers that don't get legal help. They need the support of people or machines that can provide them with the insight and information they need to make educated decisions. And they've been denied that for too many years And so we need to make changes, whatever they are, to make that possible and to make it legal and ethical, to help make it ethical to be able to help people.
1: Yes. Yes. So I have a lot of thoughts, but I would love to hear from Sam first. What are your thoughts, Sam, on the barriers and what we should be wary of?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things to be wary of. I think we've seen A lot of concerns, maybe in the form of swoop and poop, to quote Natalie, (laughs) about um, data privacy and confidentiality and IP and various other things. I think all of those are eminently resolvable and lots of them relate to just the contractual arrangements you have with the tech providers. The thing that I'm more interested in is protecting users of these tools and consumers of these tools. I think we've seen a few... I wouldn't say nefarious actors, but we've we've seen a few tools pop up that, that have been ill-considered in this space. I think there were two Harvey's for a point. And so we need to be wary of that. And I think the answer to that is just being really rigorous and testing the hell out of this technology before we launch it to consumers. That said, I do want to echo something Natalie said earlier, which is people are already using this technology. And even if they're not using ChatGPT, they're using Google. And how often does Google get the answer wrong to a legal question? My guess would be much more frequently than ChatGPT. Um, and I actually tested it on defamation law the other day and ChatGPT gave me a perfect answer and Google gave me terrible answers, which was preceded by three ads. So I'm not sure you know, what, what the difference is necessarily between the two other than the user interface. But yeah, my short answer is building those guardrails and testing it. And if there are reliability and accuracy issues, which of course there will be, making sure we build into the user interface protections and context so that people understand exactly where the risks lie.
1: So I, I agree wholeheartedly with your suggestion that we build in the guardrails and um, we test and we be rigorous. And I also wonder if this isn't giving us some false sense that we actually have control over any of these things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To Natalie's point, I mean, folks are going to use these tools. Folks already use a lot of tools, to your point, Sam, that are actually far worse in helping them. And so, you know, I foresee a real reckoning with the fact that we try to maintain control over legal information and legal understanding in an instance in which maybe 10 to 15% of the people in this country actually get legal help. So I think the speed at which this technology is advancing to do good may force that reckoning to happen a little more quickly than perhaps we were anticipating. It's an interesting convergence, perhaps a topic for another conversation. But I would love to end with folks sharing thoughts on how we can advise and inspire people doing this really important work to help folks solve their legal problems, right? It's important work. And a fundamental goal of, of this conversation for me is really inspiring the people who might listen to really think with curiosity and want to explore and experiment And try to leverage this technology to do their work better, to scale, to help more people, to think about how they can put the consumer at the center of this important work. And I wondered if we could maybe end by just throwing out some mindsets, some words of inspiration. Um, I'm going to offer kind of having the mindset of experimentation and exploration Obviously doing that, Sam, to your point with guardrails, but, you know, as simple as going back to that list of opportunities that legal service providers have to leverage this technology in doing their work more quickly, more efficiently, perhaps better with the help of this technology. So experimentation, exploration. Tom, how would you recommend folks approach this opportunity we have right now? to think about leveraging this technology?
2: Well, one thing I know that you're a big advocate of beyond experimentation is curiosity. And I think being curious about how to apply this technology is number one. I would also suggest that one of the shortcomings of dealing with ChatGPT and this type of technology is the mindset that you have, not necessarily the technology. There are certainly issues, as Sam pointed out, that we need to be aware of with the technology, but our own mindset is a limiting factor. And so what I suggest is this, there's two ways to look at this tech. One is that it's a push button perfect solution. You know, you tell it what you want and it should instantly perfectly come up with your solution out of thin air. And I think a lot of people are approaching it with that expectation. And of course, because their expectations are so high and unreasonable, they're disappointed. And sometimes they push back from the table and say, well, you know, come back to me when this is fully baked, and they're going to miss out on what everyone is jumping into, which is a learning opportunity. So the mindset that I suggest is the alternative to that, to view ChatGPT and technology such as this as a creative collaboration tool, so that when you're working on things, you take the output that it gives you as a suggestion, as something to get your mind going about solutions that you could come up with, to think of it as a co-pilot, to think of it as a collaborator. And if you have that mindset, I think you'll jump far beyond everyone else and you'll be in the game learning how to use it.
1: Yes, absolutely. So radical collaboration is actually a user-centered mindset, Tom. I think you hit that nail on the head. Uh, Sam, what about you?
0: I think two things. I think one is bravery. I think this is a scary technology, particularly for a lot of people working in the legal profession. And people are going to have to take leaps of faith to get projects up and running and to start experimenting and to even potentially get funding. So I think being brave enough to take those first steps, and that might look like jumping on ChatGPT and asking it questions that you get asked in your legal aid organization, Or it might be, you know, connecting up to the GPT API and starting to build tools or contacting any one of us and asking us how they might get started. And the other one, which has been raised by all three of you over the course of today, which is uh, a sense of urgency as well. We have, over the last 50 years, those of us in the legal profession have overseen a rapid deterioration of legal services. I heard the statistic the other day that in the 1970s, only 7% or in the single digits were unrepresented in civil legal cases in the United States. Whereas today that number sits at 70% and for certain types of cases at 90% being unrepresented. So it's not that it never worked in the way that it doesn't today. It's that we have presided over that massive deterioration. So I think moving on this quickly because of the number of people that are hurting out there because of that lack of representation is something that we're all responsible for.
1: I agree with the sense of urgency, absolutely. Natalie, can you take us home? What are your (laughs) thoughts on this? What mindset should we be bringing?
3: From my perspective, it's a mindset of how, and I love, I can't remember um, who, I think Tom said curiosity. So we can go to one of two ways with these new technology developments. One is to assume that it's gonna blow over and it's not gonna make much of an impact. I think if you're listening to a lot of what experts, actual experts in this technology are talking about, you're probably not on that side. But that's one way to think about it. And the other is to assume that it is going to make a huge difference in how customer service is undertaken, on how people are served across industries. And if you make that assumption and you start thinking about how to leverage these tools to better serve who you're serving, then you can end up ahead, even if... In the rare instance, that turns out to be nothing and that where this is all ado about nothing and the technology didn't actually take us to where we thought. So I would rather and I would rather for my colleagues in the legal profession to be on the side of being prepared and ready to thrive in this new environment as opposed to not being prepared and finding themselves disrupted without any second thought.
1: Preparation. Urgent preparation with curiosity. Explore. Experiment. All right, this has been a fantastic conversation, friends. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that folks listening found something useful, a useful nugget in it. I feel like we could schedule two or three more follow-up conversations and still not really touch but the tip of the iceberg around this. But um, I'm grateful to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Kat. Kat.
1: Thank you, Kat. Many, many thanks to Natalie, Tom, and Sam for joining me for this important conversation about generative AI and how we can approach thinking about leveraging these tools to address access to justice issues in a myriad ways. Um, I hope that it is the first of many conversations. I think there is a lot to explore And if nothing else, let's take away the mindsets that we discussed in this episode and and approach this with curiosity, with a mind towards experimentation and radical collaboration. Many thanks to you as well for listening to this episode of Talk Justice. It is brought to you by Legal Services Corporation and Legal Talk Network. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to rate and review the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast app thanks
0: podcast guest speakers views thoughts and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the legal services corporation's views thoughts or opinions the information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice you should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice